0: Ann Kirkland is the founder of Classical Pursuits, which is a literary cultural tour company.
1: Started back in 1999 with one week on the University of Toronto campus and brought together, I think we had about 45 people that year, and broke up into four small groups. One group discussed Plato's Republic, another Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment, third group was discussing Dante's Inferno, and the fourth discussed uh, Wagner's Tristan and Isolde. This is the 14th year. It's grown, this year we have close to 150 people, but the travel began several years later with a trip to Italy. And I thought it was going to be a one-off trip. And it wasn't even my idea. Somebody said, you ought to take this show on the road. So we did a trip called Classical Pursuits Goes to Medieval Italy. We discussed Umberto Eco's The Name of the Rose, a modern book, but set in medieval times.
0: And kind of a mystery. So, a mystery, so, yeah, A great, yeah. a great
1: book. But we tried to put blinders on to ancient Italy, Renaissance Italy, modern Italy, and immerse ourselves in the thought and life of medieval times. So in in addition to discussing the book, we had medieval meal, we learned what was grown, how people ate. We had a concert of medieval music, we learned about medieval religion, art, thought, politics.
0: So a really well-rounded discovery. We
1: we traveled through time as well as space. And and that trip was so much fun, and I thought, well, I'll try another. So then I tried a trip to Paris, set in the 20s, called They Came to Paris, and I was looking at the expat writers, mainly from the U.S., and why did they come to Paris then? What were they running away from? What were they seeking? Did they find it?
0: What was the answer to that question?
1: I mean, they, these were men who didn't hadn't grown up, by and large. They, they were caught up in the war, and afterwards, the war that nobody had ever thought anything like this could ever happen, and they didn't know what future there was, so there was a lot of adolescent kind of behavior of living for now because who knew whether there would be a tomorrow. So that that trip really provoked in me an interest in that decade of the 20s. Okay. So we later did a trip to New York, the Algonquin Round Table, and all those people who came together every day at lunch, and they needed one another. They needed the comfort of one another's company, and we did a trip to the south of Spain, to Andalusia and Lorca and Defaya.
0: You have reading lists for each one of these trips. That, That's right. That the participants... Read in advance. That's right.
1: So we're really trying to put ourselves in that time and place and experience the world through the eyes and ears and and feelings of those who created the works then.
0: What is it about literary tourism that is so appealing?
1: Well, I think it enriches both the reading of a book and the experience of a place. Something that you don't get doing either one alone so being in a place where a book is set walking those streets being in the parks looking up at stairways it helps you inhabit the book in ways you can't do when you're reading it at home
0: wouldn't it sometimes conflict with the imaginary staircase that you have there's that interplay as well i guess
1: that could be the case it's like seeing the movie of something Mm -hmm. could be if you've read something so many times, and you know how it is, and then you go, oh, that's not it.
0: But I guess also the fact that you're in the place that may have inspired the author.
1: Yeah, we try to bring in as many other experiences to help us be part of that time and place. So depending on the age of the author, I mean, if we're reading something, say, by Flannery O'Connor, she's no longer living, but she could well be living, And so we can talk to people who knew her. We can hear what she was like as a young girl. We can visit her home. And obviously, if we're reading the Aeneid or the Odyssey, it's a whole different story. But still. I mean, you you could
0: bring in academics. Whatever
1: we can find. I mean, sometimes it's academics. We also try to learn something about a place. One of the hardest places I I had to give us more of, of a feel of the place than the book was East Germany. We were in East Germany last June and we read Gunter Crab Walk, a wonderful novel, we read something by Nietzsche, and we read Faust, part one by Goethe. I was very interested in meeting, having people from East Germany who had lived through the Nazi era, the communist era, and the present era, to talk to us about their lives and, and how, how the world had changed and their worldview had changed over time. And it was hard to find people of that age for a couple reasons. The practical one was most people of that age didn't speak English. They spoke German and their second language was Russian. Another important reason was they were very reluctant. Their whole upbringing had been one of not talking to strangers.
0: Because they might get in trouble. They might get in trouble.
1: We were able to talk to people of a younger generation who were able to reflect on their parents. And so we were getting that kind of second hand, which was interesting because they would talk about how their parents were silent. And, and there was no talking, mm. and how hard it was for the younger people to find out anything about their lives, their history, and so forth. Other places, people are eager to talk and eager to share their countries, the things they treasure, the things, even their foibles, their blemishes, and warts. What
0: defines a really good literary destination for you?
1: Destination, there's, there are practical things to tell you the truth. It has to be rich in physical beauty or things of interest it has to be manageable physically to to get around easily so just going back to that trip to germany for a minute we were in dresden weimar and berlin dresden and weimar were great because they're small they're they're densely packed and it's easy to move around on foot berlin is a wildly fascinating city but it is sprawling and spread out And you take trams from place to place and when we were there it was windy and cold and rainy and just logistically Mm -hmm. it's harder to move about. Smaller places, some of them that work really well are places like Siena, Savannah, Santa Fe or or in a corner of a city. We've done um, a trip to Philadelphia uh, and it was called a more perfect union. So we were in the historic part of Philadelphia and we could move about that part of town very easily. That became our city.
0: I was in Salem a couple of weeks ago and visited the House of Seven Gables. And that in comparison to, I went through a Edgar Allan Poe House a couple of months prior to that. And it was the guide. She mm. brought in all sorts of context and stories about how monies were made and lost and why certain decorations were used and furnishings and what would you identify as the best possible thing that a literary destination like that could do to appeal to you?
1: The destination has to have all kinds of resources available. It has to have the right kind of accommodation, the right kind of transportation. Has to have access to behind-the-scenes things because we really try to stay away from or minimize the, the conventional tourist activity. Has to not get in our way, and even better, be able to help us find things. You may not know about this. Let me make this introduction. Let me put this in place for you. And the guides, the people we meet, they're they're critical too. Uh, we've had just absolutely wonderful guides, people mm-hmm. who know. The place and they love it they know their history they've grown up there and they also are not afraid of showing you the warts and blemishes and making fun of themselves and
0: the truth exactly
1: yeah. they're not the chamber of commerce
0: let's take an example close by Kingston Kingston Ontario an important Canadian poet Archibald Lampman lived there for a while so they know where he lived so what you know there's the house what can they do to get you excited about going there yeah
1: it's true. I mean, I don't, I don't generally have an interest in going and saying, oh, there's Dickens Razor. But, for instance, when we were in Savannah, we went to Flannery O'Connor's childhood home, and then we went to the farm where she lived her later years. And in both cases, in, in, in the home, there's a resident writer, and there was something who have all this lure and wonderful stories and anecdotes, and they never knew her. But they can bring the place alive. Mm -hmm. They can say how the family lived, what happened there, the influences on that writer.
0: in what goes on in their novels, too. Yeah, Yeah. tying
1: it in. Yes, this is the place where this happened. Same thing when we went to the farm. We we happened to have a woman who was in Flannery O'Connor's reading group on the porch. But there are other people. There was a professor who came, you know, who could just tell us things we're not going to find in the biography we could pick up off the shelf. Insider info. Yeah, and done with not an apologist for the author, but somebody who really thinks this is important.
0: Final question, why should somebody take a Classical Pursuits tour?
1: couple reasons. One, I think with great literature... For me, and as I've experienced with others, there is so much more to be gained from a poem, a novel, a story by discussing it with other people than reading it alone. You can read and reread, and... If you come with an open mind and a good ability to listen...
0: Using a technique that you use. Yeah,
1: called shared inquiry. Your reading experience will be deeply enriched. You will just gain other points of view. You may or may not change your own, but you will see things and understand things you never did on your own. That's been my experience. That's why I love doing it. And then to add to that, being in the place where it's set, that adds a whole nother Uh, layer of meaning to the literature and also the place. I mean people will say, oh I've been to Paris six or seven times, most these people are pretty well traveled, but I never saw it that way. I Mm. never had that experience. This has opened my eyes to a new way of seeing New York, Paris, London, wherever. Sometimes there are exotic destinations where people have never been. But if, even if it's your own city, even if it's here in Toronto, if you're, say, reading and discussing in Skin of the Lion, you will you will walk through that book and you'll see Toronto in a different way. What's coming up? Oh, coming up quickly is a, a trip on the Camino uh, in Spain in October. And we're doing short readings that all have a, a pilgrimage theme, some of them directly related to the Camino de Santiago, but others not, like uh, T.S. Eliot's Journey of the Magi. Immediately following on that is a trip to Vietnam and Cambodia, and one of the books we'll be discussing there is Vincent Lamb's new book, Headmaster's Wager. Then next year we're going to Turkey, to England, to Dorset for Thomas Hardy, to Paris, La Belle Epoque, 19th century, Chicago. We're doing a Civil War trip to Richmond, Virginia.
0: It's a pretty full calendar. Full calendar and how do people get a hold of you
1: ClassicalPursuits.com. pursuits.com
0: that's easy great well thanks so much for your time
1: thanks nigel
0: i've been speaking with ann kirkland who's the founder of classical pursuits a literary cultural tour company